every single inmate, there were 30 inmates in that unit, they all tested positive for COVID. So they're all in this unit that I'm walking into. Well, that's a question we asked the government. What is the rationale reason not to comply with their recommendations of the Saskatchewan Health Authority? This is Pandemic at Work, an SGU podcast. My name is Amy Husiak, and this week we're talking about being locked in with COVID. Correctional institutions in Saskatchewan have gotten a lot of attention over the pandemic. As serious outbreaks have raged through every facility in the province, affecting both staff and inmates. SGEU represents about 2,500 members in corrections. Unlike many other jobs, corrections workers can't work from home. They have to go in every day and deal with all manner of things. Violence, gangs, mental health issues, and people who've been separated from their families and support systems since even before COVID. At the height of the pandemic, COVID cases in correctional facilities were incredibly high. Staff were so afraid of getting COVID and bringing it home to their families that some took extreme measures to keep them safe, including living in basements or garages to stay isolated away from their families. A lot of parallels can be drawn between corrections and long-term care, with COVID affecting staff and residents who are packed together in a shared living environment. Which is why it was surprising that when vaccines became available this spring, corrections workers were not able to receive priority access, even though the SHA recommended they do. Understandably, this got a lot of corrections workers fired up to share their stories and draw attention to the fact that corrections workers have been, and still are, struggling. Here to talk about that today, we have two guests. Our first guest today is Diane Bollier, who has worked in corrections for 20 years and is the chair of the Provincial Corrections Committee. Welcome to the podcast, Diane. Thank you, Amy. Our second guest today is Glenn Billingsley, who is a labor relations officer with SGU in Saskatoon. Welcome, Glenn. Thanks for having me. So, Diane, I want to start with you because you've worked in corrections for 20 years in several different positions and facilities. So can you just tell us what's it like working in corrections? What are the conditions like for the staff and the inmates? There's really no easy answer to that question because every single day is different for us. Uh, at a lot of jobs, you know exactly what to expect, but honestly, we don't. And shift work, you it's something that you need to get used to, both you and your family do. It's a big change. It's not your nine to five job. But I think accepting a position as a correctional officer or young offender worker, you honestly accept the role that requires a level of responsibility and sacrifice far, far beyond what's expected of the average worker. And to be honest, the true nature of our work isn't generally understood just because people in the public don't see really what we do. They just listen to it on the news. Can you describe what a day for you looks like at work? A lot of it is just having that rapport with the inmate, right? We talk a lot with the inmates. They are going through crises and it could be a death in their family or they're not getting along with somebody. So we're going to have to figure that out with them. Uh, then there's release planning that we need to do to make sure that they're not going to come back to visit us on their next stay. We're taking inmates to the med unit for various things. Uh, correctional officers have to do transports to the other facilities. And honestly, on any particular day, we are doing our regular du duties. But during those regular duties, we are responding. We're responding to 
be a hostage taking. There's fights. There's assaults on staff assaults, inmate assaults. Just the other day, we had a an inmate who attempted suicide. So I'm running to go get an oxygen tank for the nurses. But five minutes later, there's another call that there's a fight. Sometimes you feel like that nurse, right? Sometimes you feel like the police officer, the firefighter. We've done all those things. To keep my community, your community, all of our communities safe. Glenn, I want to go to you next because as staff, you represent uh, many workers within SGU who work in corrections. So can you tell us what were you hearing from our members when the COVID-19 pandemic began? So a lot of their concerns were, uh, how do you come to work? How do you protect yourself? How do I protect my family? What happens if I go home and I've uh, contracted something like um, COVID? Nobody even really fully knew or could establish really what COVID is at that point. And then as we you know, slowly stepped into it and processed it, we started working together with the ministry and uh, groups like Diane on the IF committee and uh, pandemic team. We had a tough time getting a hold of the PPEs. You know, first of all, you have to establish what PPEs are required mm -hmm. in the workplace. So that was a concern. The next concern and the biggest concern at that point was, could you provide that? Could you get it? Was it in the market? Could you access it easily or was it going to be difficult? And it was extremely difficult. And I think we all forget now because time's gone by so fast, but what that time was like. You couldn't get a mask. The average person couldn't buy one. They couldn't go to a convenience store, a drug store, any sort of supplier and get a mask at that time. Um, so it was a very, very scary time. Like going to work is one thing, but not having the PPEs in the workplace was, you know, probably our biggest concerns in the beginnings. Diane, how did life at your facility change when the pandemic hit? What changed for you personally? One of the biggest changes in our institution was the increase of staff anxiety. And as if we don't have enough just working in the jail. Now we have all these extra responsibilities on us. And it was a huge learning curve for everybody. And like Glenn said, we were worried about if we are going to have enough PPE. There was so much confusion about the self-isolation for how long, who had to do it. Staff were worried if they were going to be deemed a close contact. Um, pay was a huge issue for us. And uh, how were we going to get paid? Was it regular time? Was it through entitlements? Accommodation, even if we had to isolate, we were worried, are we going to have to isolate with our family? Could there be an option for us to isolate somewhere else where we didn't have to bring this home? So there weren't only changes for us, but for the inmates. So they saw a huge change. Um, once that outbreak hit the correctional center, the inmate programming came to a halt. There were no outside visitors, which meant businesses and personal visits stopped. And no one was happy about that. Inmates were no longer taken to court and everything was done through video court or through the telephone system. And that might sound easy, but it wasn't. It was a huge learning process for staff. Uh, the offenders, they didn't have access to any elders or chaplains any longer. And all our institutional employment for inmates ended. There was no gym or yard. So absolutely any release that they had came to a, a close. They just basically stayed in their unit. So the anxiety and obviously the anger amongst the inmates, it, it rose. And now staff had to juggle their everyday CO duties while following every safety protocol and at the same time dealing with these offenders who were visibly angry with these changes. And to be honest, at times it just felt like our jail was a toxic time bomb, right? You don't, we just didn't know what was going to happen sometimes. 
Can I just ask, you said you work in a dorm setting. Was social distancing, was that possible in your workplace? Very, very difficult in our workplace. For the inmates as well, yes, we do have a lot of dorm settings. So you have 30 to 35 guys in a quite a small room sharing bathrooms, sharing the kitchen area. And because of overcrowding, sometimes we have three staff in that one office. There's just not a lot of room for movement. You're not on top of each other, but you're definitely right beside each other. So yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about the mental health effects on staff? You've mentioned there was a lot of anxiety. People were feeling stressed and worried. Can you say a little bit more about that? I mean, we all have anxiety and working there maybe a little bit more, but you could just see it become visible. It was being spoken about more. Um, People were just so worried about their home. And what happened was now all of a sudden the city has restrictions. So how we used to vent or release after our 12-hour shift, 8-hour shift, we weren't able to do that. We couldn't go to the gym. We couldn't do those activities. You couldn't go see your counselor. Everything was just shut down. So people did have to find different coping mechanisms, definitely. And we had each other. So I suppose we talked a lot about it during our shifts. Yeah, I think it had a big impact on not just the correction workers, but their families. Because when they had to isolate or self-isolate, they also isolated from their families because of work duties. Um, Either close contact or many of them actually uh, contracted COVID. So it has an impact on their families. Dad or mom doesn't get to look after the family. They were stuck to, you know, a confined base. And we did. We had correctional officers who lived in their garage during that time who were brought meals. We had correctional officers who moved out of their home altogether and lived with somebody who wasn't so immune compromised, so to say, because maybe their children, they didn't want to be around their children in that essence. So it was a crisis. It was a very mysterious time, but nobody knew how to define what a pandemic looks like in a workplace. We were diffusing situations. It felt for a while there, like all the time. It made the media, they were on hunger strike. They were upset. So it was just one thing after another for them coming to the door and us figuring out how are we putting out this fire now? They're upset about this. We did take a lot away from them. And we tried, you know, okay, we took away their visits with their family members, but we gave them Skype visits. And to be honest, we still use those Skype visits. That was a great change that our facility hopefully will keep. Visitors who aren't able to make it to the center can now do it over Skype. They were given a few things just to help alleviate what was happening to them. But the anxiety in the inmates grew as well, which threw that onto us. It really sounds like from what you're describing that people were kind of doing the best that they could, making the best decisions that they had, uh, that they could make to protect themselves and their families during this time. Was there a lot of guidance or support from the government? We asked from the very beginning for these correction workers to be um, giving some sort of accommodations for isolation. If they had to go into isolation, that was rejected, wasn't even entertained. We asked for the rapid testing. Back in January, that was denied. Um, That never came um, until well into the uh, pandemic when numbers were actually starting to decrease in the spring. But for four months, the ministry or the government sat on rapid testing and wouldn't give it to the correction order. They should have been given the vaccines as a priority group along with the nurses. That was ignored. Speaking of vaccinations, it's one thing, you know, when your kids are saying to you, 
are you vaccinated yet? No, I can't get vaccinated yet. I have to wait. Yeah. Then why are you going to work where there's an outbreak and you're coming home? Because I have to. And so a lot of the COVID cases, anxiety, um, social issues that happened within the uh, correctional facilities, issues with the inmates could have been prevented had the government responded in a more appropriate way um, with thinking about the dire health of the correction record. And they didn't. I agree with exactly what Glenn said, 110%. And I think a lot of the correctional officers, youth care workers would as well. We had asked for those things earlier. We are denied them. We're happy now that we're seeing that we have the rapid testing, um, that finally we were given the vaccine. We asked for the vaccine along with the other frontline workers when they were going to receive it. And we were denied that. So we had to wait. Now we have it. And our nurses are actually administering it in our facilities to us now. So that was a nice change to see. But in the beginning, there was tons of frustration. How many facilities were actually hit with COVID-19 outbreaks? Like how many people are we talking here that this affected? In one way or another, it affected all of them. Regardless if they were positive or not, and a lot were positive, it affected absolutely everyone. Well, the adult facilities we have in this province are the Regina Correctional Centre, the Saskatoon Correctional Centre, the PA Correctional Centre, the Pine Grove Correctional Centre. We have smaller facilities like Bernard Camp up north of Prince Albert, White Spruce in Yorkton, and Dojak here in Regina. And we also have the North Battleford Mental Health Hospital. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but we're looking at 700 individuals that were infected by COVID, inmates and staff. Two is too many when it could have been prevented. And during that outbreak, how quickly those numbers were rising is what brought anxiety towards everybody. We would receive the new numbers every day and they were skyrocketing, which meant we were having more staff who had to be off, which meant the staff that weren't off were now working longer hours. So instead of putting in your eight hour shift, it's a 16 hour shift. Instead of your 12 hour shift, you're working an extra four. So the strain was unreal. I have to give credit where credit's due. We did have management at each of the facilities that worked well with the pandemic teams. I don't believe for a minute that there was anything really upsetting or dangerous done by management uh, for the correction workers. They were working with unknowns like we were working with unknowns. Um, we think they could have been reacted fast, but there was times when this management stepped up to the plate and did whatever they could to support the correction workers. Was it enough? Well, we're not done the pandemic, so we won't know until we get to the end. There's a lot of comparisons that can be drawn to long-term care, I think, right? Which is why I think about, I remember when the government had said that they weren't going to give correctional officers access to vaccines like the SHA had recommended, but like people who work in group homes do. And it, what is the difference? Well, that's a question we asked the government. What is the rationale reason not to comply with their recommendations of the Saskatchewan Health Authority. They clearly said back in January that the correction workers were a priority. Now, why were they taken off that list? Even after they had the highest infection rates in Canada for the facilities. Why were they? We don't know. We asked that question. We never got that answer. And you know, we're essential, not sacrificial. Right. And sometimes that's what it felt like you were. 
I would imagine that was probably very disheartening for people. I mean, you know, we're talking about the mental health effects on people and the anxiety, but, you know, there are some groups of workers who could really point to the government and go, they got our back, they're doing everything they can for us, but corrections was not one of them. Well, the unknown is one thing. It's the, it's the known of going into a workplace where there's known COVID cases at high rates of it, high percentage of uh, inmates that were affected by COVID and co-workers. That was the really the scariest part of this whole pandemic. And it was crazy. That's exactly it. The unit I worked, every single inmate, there were 30 inmates in that unit. They all tested positive for COVID. So they're all in this unit that I'm walking into. Unvaccinated, right? Wasn't my time yet. We weren't able to. Walking right into it and then going home. What still needs to change to make our correctional facilities safer and better for workers and inmates as COVID continues to be part of our lives or if there are future pandemics? I think this provincial government needs to recognize the correction workers, the work they did during this pandemic, the steps they they took to make the workplace safe for themselves and the inmates and our communities. Somebody needs to look at the correctional worker for the work they've done over the last year and simply say thank you. Nobody else in our society, uh, other than the essential service workers, have put out more at any other time, at least in my work history, than they have over the last year. And I think there's an important lesson here for those people that do the work. There needs to be a sense of appreciation and it needs to come from the top down. And it's true what Glenn said, um, we are that, we're essential. And by protecting our health, they're actually protecting the health of everyone. Nobody really understands what we do inside that facility or the risks that we take because they just don't see us. They only hear what's on the news. So we're essential, that's it. We need to stay safe to carry on. The people who are going to be listening to this podcast are SGU members from all different sectors, from across the six sectors of the union, working in all different workplaces. Just as a final question, what do you want other SGU members to know about working in corrections and about the struggles you're still going through due to the pandemic? Yeah, once the restrictions were lifted in July, the middle of July, by this provincial government, there was no longer any reason or mandatorily any reason to report a COVID-positive worker. Those workers were coming or could still be coming into the workplace being COVID-positive, knowing they're COVID-positive, but perhaps they're asymptomatic, feel fine, and want to come into work because they don't want to go a day without pay. A lot of them, unfortunately, are probably going to choose to come into work rather than be restricted to a day without pay. And that's the scary thing about working at a correctional center now. I just, I, I really just want to make the point that at the end of the day, we're essential workers. Essential. That's exactly what we are. And by protecting our health, we, we protect the health of everyone. It just trickles down. Well, thank you both so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your stories and the stories of correction workers throughout COVID. 
That was Diane Bollier, the chair of the Provincial Corrections Committee, and Glenn Billingsley, Labor Relations Officer with SGU. Thanks for listening to us. Thank you, Amy, very much. It's clear from what Diane and Glenn said that workers in corrections are still dealing with many of the worst effects of the COVID pandemic and the anxiety and stress that comes with it. After we finished recording, Diane said to us that one of the most stressful things about working in corrections right now is that they don't receive information about inmates testing or vaccine status due to health privacy. So they don't necessarily know if they're working with people who've been vaccinated or have tested positive. This means they still have to be hypervigilant and the mental strain is exhausting. Do you have thoughts about COVID and corrections you'd like to share with us? You can get in touch on Twitter at SGEU or send us a message on Facebook at sgeu.sk. Thank you for joining us for episode three of Pandemic at Work. Next week, we're talking about frontline workers more broadly and asking the question, is thank you enough for the low-wage workers in essential workplaces like gas stations and grocery stores who have worked with the public through this entire pandemic? Workers who had protections in the workplace, so union members advocating for higher wages, is a deeply important part of the solidarity we need to do to get those wages up because we do have those protections. Our union has our back. And that's not something that many low-wage workers have. This has been an SGEU podcast. The Saskatchewan Government and General Employees Union represents 20,000 members across the province in six sectors and is affiliated with the National Union of Public and General Employees, the Saskatchewan Federation of Labour, and the Canadian Labour Congress. If you have any questions or comments, please send us an email at podcast at sgeu.org.